Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's so, I was saying in the chat room that it's so weird not having um, a uh, music to start my podcast. Um, I can add it after the fact, like when I'm doing the editing. I hope you guys can hear me. Um, um, okay, good. Uh, but uh, not having it in the live chat is kind of weird. So, yeah. Anyways, tonight we're going to talk about habits and virtues. Uh, before we do that, I don't know if we have any housekeeping. Um, so just uh, Rough Trade opens for signups for July in just a couple of days on June 1st. That's also the clean off on June 1st. So keep that in mind if you're reading or rereading. Um, we do have one pending question in the uh, in the questions area uh, that I want to that we'll do a podcast with um, probably on Friday, maybe maybe on Friday we'll we'll do that. Uh, where the hell is? See, I need to put my window back up because this is confusing the shit out of me. Okay. Um, it's really weird. Uh, it's weird having, uh, <laughs> not having a blog talk because like when I did blog talk, I had a dashboard in front of me. So I had like, um, it was like, you know, I could look and see who was, um, who was on, who was, you know, and now it's like a dashboard and I feel kind of like, um, off drifting into space. It's it's really weird, uh, but um, I'm getting there. Uh, I have actually um, plotted both of my July's twice. I did some art. Um, I am prepared. I am very prepared. <clears throat> I'm also in the midst of plotting two different ideas for um, November, so I'm prepared for that too. And I'm noodling my next Quantum Bang, which Quantum Bang signups will start on August 1st. Uh, and we're actually, we're super set to start um, Quantum Bang on June 1st. We got everything scheduled. Uh, we have one pending art because of a, a late submission. And uh, that's it. So we're like smooth as fuck over there. And Jilly busted her ass to get it all fixed and set up and shiny. And it's just, you know, she just worked her ass off, you guys. So I hope you appreciate it. Um, going into uh, reading 1.9 million fucking words. You're welcome, fandom. So welcome. Fix it is our gift to you. <laughs> <laughs> to mute my computer i uh, had to adjust my microphone sensitivity a little bit because of my fans i didn't want the you know the, yeah. my microphone picking up all the fans running in here right now so um 
the quantum bang will always be the same thing. It's um, like that's ripples. Why we, that's why we named it the quantum bang. Yep. So you're it actually exploring. has like scientific. Yeah. Meaning. <laughs> so we looked up the def look up the definition for quantum. That's kind of where why we named it what we did. Uh, so it always be fix it. But you can you can work on your story whenever you want. Somebody asked that question recently. Like, is a story they couldn't get finished for this year eligible for next year? Uh, yeah, unless you post it. I have no way of knowing when you worked on your story. It's definitely outside of my wheelhouse to And on that point, we asked everybody this year not to discuss your quantum bang in public. We were very clear about it. And there were several people who repeatedly did it. Prior to the art claims. This was your grace period. Next year, if we catch you in the chat room on your blog, on your Tumblr, on your WordPress, on your live journal, talking about your quantum bang in specifics, we're going to throw you out of the challenge with prejudice and you will never be allowed back in. It's fucking disrespectful. This is not unique to the quantum bang. Every bang I've ever participated in required anonymity up until the claiming process, whether it was reverse bangs where the art the artist remains anonymous until the claiming or whether it's a bang where the stories remain anonymous until the claiming it's part of the whole tradition so once the art claims are done you know kind of the gloves are off whether you choose to keep your shit secret is up to you but up until that point the kind of the anonymity is part of the whole bang process so you know please please embrace it and don't be an Accident asshole accidents happen i mean sometimes you say something and you're like oops but the funny thing is is unless you identify the thing you talked about as your quantum bang no one would know so if you reveal a plot detail or something that is for your quantum bang that's very specific if you don't tell anybody no one would know that it was your quantum bang so just take a deep go oops and don't just like let it go but to like specifically lay out your plot points and stuff and and talk about in a public venue i mean yes you're going to talk to your betas and your bitch circle, whoever that is, your little stitching bitch, um, you guys are going to talk to each other, and that's fine. No one's talking about telling what you talk about in private, but publicly, if someone can bring me a PDF of your document, of your your, your story idea that you discussed way before the art claims, it, it's going to make me grumpy. So, just saying, well, it's going to make me cursy. <laughs> and, and I'm Kira, the unknown dwarf. Cure. <laughs> Kira, want, Kira is Chief Curse Router. She claimed that <laughs> title. And she really wants to be able to take up that mantle and curse people out. <laughs> <laughs> Wear it like a shroud. I think a lot of people were very, who had never been through a bang before, who had never done the whole art process before. Um, I talked to one person this morning who has never had art for a story she's written. Never. And actually, everybody got everybody got great art. Um, she got she got like I, I was I was stunned by her art. It was it was it was breathtaking. So uh, and she was just she just said it was like the most exciting thing that's happened to her was to get her story interpreted like that by an artist. So um, if you have not seen the cover art gallery, I put it up last night. Um, all the art will not be revealed until the stories go live because some stories have one piece of art. Some uh, I mean, artists really went all in and got, you know, 
beautiful drawings done and stuff and some have more art like they have supplemental art or they have like banner art and cover art or they have chapter headers whatever but there will be galleries for the individual stories when the stories go live but the cover art gallery went live last night except for the one piece of art from the pinch hitter who stepped in to cover for the artist who backed out and uh, let me get you guys that link because I'm over there so i'll get it for you it's amazing to see it all in one place um and you don't have to try to get the little nuance you can click on any piece of art it'll open the light box and you can flip through uh, but i mean our artists are super talented um which is a good which is a good comp uh, you know companion to our super talented authors so but you can see how talented our artists are now you'll have to wait till the first to start seeing how talented the authors are you're you're skipping so did you check your sensitivity on your um on to make sure that it hasn't been clicked off again um i yeah i checked it but i did raise it a tiny bit because of the um fan issue but the other option is i could try it on the computer we would just need to um because one of the issues might be that i'm on a phone ah if i skip again let me know if i get skippy again i'll okay. try a different device okay um but you know back to the respect issue um we don't ask much of you on the quantum bang um but to see somebody you know just blatantly um <sighs> it was really irritating and um i just it it's not going to happen next year without consequences and you've all been warned and it'll be in the new rules for quantum bang next year and um it's, we're not asking a lot we're just asking you to be fair because it's about fairness it's about the artist coming into the challenge and not knowing who wrote what because mm -hmm. let's Let's be. I worked really hard to make sure my story didn't look like my story. I think a lot of people were really fucking surprised. Yeah. <laughs> to find out I wrote MCU and I wrote, well, they call it Frost Iron. <laughs> so. Yeah, Frost Iron. I, I mean, well, that was part of the reason why we had Final Cut on the story summaries. I know that kind of annoyed a couple people. But it was because we were trying to make sure that there was nothing obvious in the summaries that could point to who wrote the story. So, um, but can you imagine if Kira had been super public? This is just an example. It, it can go both ways, right? If Kira had been really public about her art or her story, there could have been a lot of people clamoring to do her, her art because it's her story and her fans want to work with her. Someone who's a fan of hers would want to work with her, which sort of is not the idea behind the process, right? So, Although I did get a fan, <laughs> but it wasn't on purpose. I'm, I'm super happy with my art. Um, and art uh, beautiful. Funny. And but um, and I did get someone who's very familiar with my work who who reads me. But um, the intention was is for the artist to come into the challenge, and be utterly surprised by who they got. And my artist was utterly surprised by who she got. <laughs> she did not see that shit coming. 
I had the same thing. I had the same thing. Um, I have written Teen Wolf before, but I don't write it with. Uh, I think maybe the fact that it was like completely Jen threw people a little bit. I don't know. My artist did not think it did not have a suspicion that it was me, but she does read my work as well. Um, and so that was that was happy. Um, so I mean, well, I actually I. I I, a fellow minion got my art, got my story. Chestnut Nola drew, got me in luck of the draw there. So, um, and I know her from me, we and Facebook way back in rough trade. So, um, I got one of the artists in the challenge that I know the best. So. I really liked your cover art. It's like, you know, with, um, with, with Noah up front and central and he's like, you know, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And because I am a beta on her story, I know how well that works, actually, because really, like, the emotions of the story is like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> His unimpressed face was getting a workout the entire story. Yeah. What the actual fuck? <laughs> on a regular basis, even if it wasn't coming out of his mouth, you could feel the what the fuck in the narrative the whole time. It was great. So you guys are going to be really thrilled with her story. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm not even somebody who reads a lot of Teen Wolf, even though I do have a Teen Wolf story in progress, because that's who I am. Um, I'm that person who does that shit. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to leave the art gallery up on my main thing where my my stupid studio used to go. So maybe that might make me feel better <laughs> about not having a... A Not command center. <laughs> yeah, I will say the the gallery plugin decides all of how this layout is. I just plopped them in, and, and the only time I even rearranged it, I put them in in the order I found them in the because I had to scroll through all the art to find the cover art. <laughs> so, and there's like yeah, four maybe next year like, we should put cover. Make sure the cover art is identified. Yeah, because yeah. there's like four hundred pieces, individual pieces of art up there. So I just scroll through them all, but um, so I. Like kind of the order I found them in is the order they went into the gallery, and other than having to move a couple because the alignment was completely jacked, like um, you know, it just there were a couple that were just completely off. So I, uh, other than that, I just let let it come out how it how it came out. So there's no intention about the order, the sizing. That all is automatically done by the gallery plugin. So. I, I didn't want to have to lay this page out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks great. It's it's um the plugin did a very good job of um work of working it. Yeah. Margaret, your your um your art is your cover art is lovely. Now I have seen Margaret's chapter banners too. Um and they're gorgeous. So uh there. I I'm teasing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Margaret's story is, uh, it's called Fighting Chance. It's supernatural. I don't read supernatural, but I, I might. I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises because I, that, that fandom actually ruined the show for me. So, <laughs> well, she didn't Ooh. do the, she didn't do the dreaded eye. But some of this art, like there's some of these fandoms I have never read a single piece of work in. And I got to tell you, um, like the art for the Final Fantasy story makes me want to read that story. I don't have any idea what it's about, but the art makes me want to read it. And I've never read a single <laughs> that thing. That story, the final breast still trapped behind my, 
my behind teeth. my teeth. Yeah, the art on that is stunning. You guys, the chapter headings. I mean, it's like the whole thing. It's just like the one big um, art experience. So, I, yeah, I've never, I've, I, I have never even played a Final Fantasy game. I watched that movie, the, the Final Fantasy movie. It was pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> I was very specific about how I put Lael Silver's, um, or Le- I don't know if it's Lael Silver or Leal Sil- Silver, uh, how I put the art gallery together. Because there's something, uh, they did something really special with those chapter banners that I wouldn't have had the patience for. So look for that. Uh, every artist will have their own showcase of all the art they put together. Um, yeah, so. which I think is kind of unique to our bang. I don't know. I mean, I've never really browsed other bangs' websites if they have websites. Um, Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. I know that SGA used to have one. Um, but we do have uh, the artist showcase will have pages for each artist. And those posts will get posted with stories um, as the posting happens. Um, scheduled. Which is on uh, 12 and 12 Central Time. Midnight and noon. You have a date with Quantum Bang twice a day. For 14 days. That's right. It's going to be fun. I'm very, I'm very excited now that we're, we're fine. I can't be the closest thing by Lou, but I stopped. And then I felt like I had to say it. <laughs> Go for it. I can't, I was really stressed earlier in the week, but now I'm just excited because we've got just this one thing pending. The story's done. We're just waiting for the amazing artist who stepped in um, to cover for someone who had to back out. And um, so they get extra time, obviously, because we want to give if somebody has to, especially in a pinch hitting situation where somebody was in for the first round claims and the artist had to back out. We want to give that pinch hitter as much time as possible to get that art done. So we did that. So I don't know when that's coming, but there will be one more piece of art added to the gallery when it's here. And that story will be going late in the posting cycle because, hey, I didn't have, my microphone was down near my neck. (laughs) Maybe that's why it was skipping. Because apparently I talk out of my neck now. (laughs) (laughs) So I was talking with my hands and I whacked it and I go, my microphone's not supposed to be down there. I always talk with my hands. Sometimes you guys, I'll be like, I'll be exhausted after a podcast because I was sitting here like I'm directing a symphony. Just moving my hands, and especially when I'm plot, talking about plotting, and I'm talking about my arc, and I like just my hands get really big. <laughs> I'm just demonstrating shit you can't yes. see. Anyways, but uh, let's talk about uh, bad habits and good habits and virtues. Um, uh, so I want to start with a confession. Um, my major bad habit is works in progress, of which I have over a hundred. <laughs> okay. Well, here, wait. I'll go check. I have. I'm, I I keep a database now of my shit, so I can actually be accurate. Um. I have two databases now. I have one for um, sprint riding. I said over a hundred butt faces. Okay. I mean, if she had nine hundred and four, it would still be over a hundred. 
Well, I need to pull that one out because it's actually done. So, I have 1.8 million words in progress. Wait, no, I don't. I have 1.79. <laughs> I have 1.7 million words in progress. Um, there is another one I need to pull out because I finished it today. I finished a third year Harry Potter fic. Um, I hope to post it near the, the end of July, maybe. I don't know. It's a thing I can't talk about. Um, but when it's live, you'll know. So, I actually have 126 words and uh, works in progress. So, not quite 145, Lady Holder. <laughs> but it is, I do consider it my worst habit as a writer. Um, my... Um, um, but also, I think in some ways, um, it's it can be a strength uh, because if I have to set aside an idea to work on something else, like for whatever reason that I have to do it, like for instance, <coughs> I was playing with several different fix when I got this thing put in my plate where I had to produce, or didn't have to, but you know, agreed to produce a uh, novel length Harry Potter fic. Um, and I uh, was able to set aside what I was working on that was going to be hell and gone longer than I would be able to finish in the time period and get it betaed and edited, you know, so it would be ready for this thing. Um, and, um, and, and work on something else that I also had in progress without skipping a beat. Because I went from... doing those shorts with Jilly to sit to um, finding Atlantis. And then after that, I was working on a, um, some NCU stuff. And then I flipped over to Harry Potter to work on this thing. And I did it without much of a struggle because I do keep a lot of balls in the air. Um, as a writer, and I can switch gears easily. But the end result is, is I also switch gears really easily, and I can I have 127 works in progress. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have as many works in progress as you have, but I've got a lot. Although if I counted all the X Files works in progress I have, which I don't think I'd ever get back to, it's the number goes up dramatically, and I might I might get where you are. Um, but the thing is that. I do, ha I do have a lot. It's probably somewhere between 80 and 100. But I don't actually... A lot of those are things I don't know that I would ever get back to. But they might be a germ for a different idea. Like, it's like, okay, that didn't... I'm not sure that really worked out. I need to think on, work, need to think on it or something. So I... And I also... If something's not working for me, I actually consider it a strength that I don't stay attached to it. I would say my bad habit in sort of in regards to that is things that need sequels. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Because you, 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 you bopped again. Things that need sequels, I think, is my bad habit. <laughs> I have... Who are you talking to? Way the author too... of Birth of the Serpent King. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I have I t I have way too many works where I know from a craft perspective that I've ended it at the right place, but the story arc isn't finished, right? So I plot a much bigger arc than I intend to write, and that what that means, of course, is that there are. Um, dangling bits right there's there's stuff i know is is kind of hanging and i i often have a very short attention span with um ideas which you wouldn't suspect from some how long some of my works are but it what happens is i'm not interested in revisiting them for a long time so um, a, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll start a story, I'll, I'll start the sequel right away, and then I'll get 10 or 20k into it, and then it just sits there. So, I think that, that the things that need sequels or finishing the sequels is definitely my worst habit. And, and that's not just a function of even fan fiction, because, yeah, the, the this is going to need another piece is a problem just across the board for me in, in writing. Um, but like I think your audio is popping again pretty Okay. Let, let me try to switch to the let me try to switch to the other device. Okay. Um I arrogantly, um, quite arrogantly named the <laughs> created a whole thing for the War Mages trilogy and wrote the first book. Um and re and revealed itself to be a trilogy. Um and I was like, you know what? I wish I hadn't done that. If if I just wrote it as one book, people wouldn't be asking me for the sequel you know, <laughs> that I have plotted, that I haven't written. Um, and I have actually started the sequel to Birth of the Serpent King several times. I just can't find... I can't find the sweet spot. Well, some ideas just don't gel quite as well. Or you don't... You sound better. The um, the quality is better. Is it? Yep. Whatever you did, <laughs> you just tethered yourself to a computer, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I am. <laughs> I am tied in. Yeah, I did actually write Birth of the Serpent King and that old Black Magic while I was nursing broken feet, separate broken feet situations, several years apart. So, yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um, although I always figured that part of the whole um, Birth of Serpent King thing was that you said you pantsed it, right? Yeah, well, I was broken and I couldn't get out of my bed. Um, and because I was also, my pain levels were so high that it was giving me sugar issues. And so I had this, 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 severe fracture because of buttons and um it's my neighbor's dog who knocked me off my um driveway uh in a ridiculous pair of shoes i i will say that i i had on a ridiculous pair of shoes and it broke several small bones in my foot to this to this day are still broken Ugh. um because they're small and um they've healed as much as they will uh and if i ever injure it again it's gonna snap right in two 
and probably compound and I'll have to get surgery. But anyways, it hurt a lot and it gave me a lot because you know, when you have diabetes and you have blood sugar problems at the time, I was pre-diabetic, but your pain levels can impact both your blood pressure and your diabetes. You can cause blood sugar spikes or you can have your sugar doing into the basement. Anyway, I was kind of confined. I couldn't drive. I had my laptop. Everybody was driving me crazy. And so I just one day I sat down and I started writing a Harry Potter story. And Birth of the Serpent King was the result. And I think that I mean I don't I, I can't I don't know I wasn't in your head, but I know for me when I pants, um I think for a plotter, I, I go into a big arc with the whole arc plotted. And, or at least I have a, at least some sort of idea of where the whole thing is going. But when I pant something, if I get to the end and I go, well, this needs more, it needs another book or two. Um, and I, I may have a general idea about it, but it can be real for me, it can be a real, it can stymie me that I didn't have the whole art. Well, I wrote the whole book front. in my head, basically, um, before I put it down on, um, on my laptop, on paper, uh, so to speak. And um, I actually have plots for books two and three. Um, I just can't, I can't get there. Um, I can't find the spot. Uh, and I think it also because people got really pissy about where it ended and they didn't get, now I don't expect somebody to get my vision 100% of the time, but I, I would really appreciate it when I actually tell you my vision, if you would believe me. <laughs> And the story was done because it was called The Birth of the Serpent King. Harry came into his own as the King of Serpents. It, that story is done. There is more stories. There are more stories to tell in that particular universe. But that story is finished. <clears throat> But speaking of bad habits, one thing <laughs> that drives me insane in fandom, and it is actually one of the most disgusting habits I see regularly in fandom, and unfortunately it's contagious, is people marking fics that are not complete, complete. Yeah. And you know why they're doing it. They're doing it for, to... to Honestly, it feels like a bait and switch for the people who don't read works in progress. And they're doing it so that you, they'll come up on your search results because I all, almost almost always filter by completed works. I the, only time, the only time I don't is when I'm looking for a really long read and I will consider a work in progress if it's really long. Although if it's too long, I won't because it tells me they're never going to wrap that shit up. So yep. it's, it's a thing. Anyway, uh, people... I feel like it's a bait and switch thing. Now, some people, I've had people justify it to me saying, oh, well, the thing is I've abandoned the story. So it's complete to me. I'm like, oh, fuck you. Well, abandoned does not equal complete. So it should say abandoned. Is there not an abandoned option on AO3? Because there fucking should be. There's not an abandoned thing. Some people, the people who do it responsibly, right? They put it right, hit straight up in their summary on the first chapter. This fic has been abandoned. And if you want to mark it complete, 
at least put it up front. What they tend to do, which is why I feel like it's a bait and switch, is it's in the end notes on the last chapter. This fic is abandoned. I'm marking it complete because I'm never going to do anything else with it. Well, oh. orphaning a fic on AO3 isn't the same thing as an abandoning a fic. And don't talk to me about the fucking tags on AO3. That tag situation is fucking ridiculous. I shouldn't have to hunt through three billion tags to find out your goddamn story is abandoned or to find out that you didn't warn the way you're supposed to warn, but you did manage to slap rape and pedophilia at the very end of your 400 tags. Yeah, the AO3 tag situation is terrible. I might have issues. Right, but I understand the tag them. situation. On AO3. I appreciate a succinct list of tags, especially, and I'm looking right at you, Teen Wolf fandom, especially in the Teen Wolf fandom. Somebody who can tag succinctly, I I'm a fan almost from the jump. Uh, but I, the funny thing also, is also, people who use tags as warnings are dicks. You're a dick. If you put your warnings in the tags instead of in the place where they're supposed to go, you are a dick, and I hate you. Yeah, chose not to use archive warnings and then puts rape in the tags is bullshit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Honestly, if I had trigger content, twitching. <laughs> I mean, if I had trigger content that was not, if I was still posting on AO3, which I'm not, I always made sure my warnings were spelled out at the in the at the header and in, 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 at the top of the fic itself in case people missed. Because other than the site, uh, other than the few archive warnings, which I think there's four or five, anything else that's trigger content, you have to put in the tags. So I would put it in the tags, but then I would also add in, you know, a call out. This yeah, but when you have half a page of tags, people skip them. So oh, if you have seriously triggering content, it needs to go in the warning section where it belongs. Except there's only like four maybe five archive warnings and you can't add additional. So like what? rape, murder, it's rape, graphic violence, uh, underage and major character death. Well, those I are think. the ones that I would expect to be required. Yeah. So those are the, at there and they're required, except you can opt out of using them. You can say chose not to use archive warnings, which, and then people say that they put chose not to use archive warnings and then go and put rape in their tags. So it's, not, like, it's just bullshit. Bullshit. Um, but and if you do have triggery content that you couldn't put in the warnings, it should be at the top of your summary. Yeah, not buried it. in a cloud of tags. Call because people right don't read the them. This story contains child abuse, domestic violence, adultery, you know, things you might Miscarriage. Want, miscarriage. Things you might care that you're, you're you know. But, some, but, you know, there's whole groups of people, you know, stroking each other's dicks on a on Facebook and AO3 about how warnings don't matter and whatever. And I'm not interested in reading your story, so that's fine. You can yeah, do if, that. If I, if I encounter a story where the author does not warn and then slaps me in the face with content that should be warned for, I open up my notebook, I write down their name, and I never fucking read them again as long as I live. I've got four authors in the Stargate fandom that I would not read for money. I would not read them for coin in my hand. Nope. You are on my no-go list for all time and eternity. 
you don't play well with others and I don't like you. I'm not reading your shit. But here on a for real note, if your plot is hung on surprising your reader with something horrific, then your plot shit. Yeah, I agree. You don't need to surprise people with that kind of content. But you know what's actually really interesting? Someone just said something about commercial fiction not providing warnings. That is less true by the day. Movies already come with a warning system. That's what that PG and R thing actually is. It There are warnings attached to those um, ratings as far as like explicit language, nudity, excessive violence. That's how those movies get their ratings. Well, in modern fiction today, it is becoming more and more likely to see a list of trigger warnings on the back of a book. This has explicit content. It has explicit sex. It has excessive violence. These things are showing up because it is the duty of a good citizen not to set out to mentally abuse others. And the book market is fiercely competitive and publishers can't afford the kind of bad word of mouth over an author who deliberately traumatizes their readers because yes, maybe they're not required to do it. They know they're not required to do it, but in the, in the age of social media, do you really need a negative media storm about an author who's deliberately traumatizing their readers? No. So it's the days of there not being warnings are rapidly going away. So that argument doesn't hold water. But the interesting thing to me is often when I'm in groups where I see people talking about how we don't need warnings, these are the same people who are the loudest screaming about how readers are currency. It's curious to me how they don't see how those two things are in conflict with each other. But whatever. I'm not here to dumb. make the world logical. Um, I, you know, I have never actually said someone have come in my face and tell me that readers are currency because if they had, you guys would have heard all about the fucking meltdown I would have had on them in the Facebook group. I mean, I've seen it, but it was never directed at me. Um, that is the dumbest fucking thing in fandom outside of the BNF thing. I mean, they're not equal. Readers equal currency, big name fan. Both equally stupid. Although you should, <laughs> you should have, you should have seen Kira's reaction when I told her about township big name players. Oh come on! <laughs> she, I thought she was gonna lose her mind. <laughs> but whatever, you know, it's it, it is. I mean. We, we play this game called Township. My mom is actually a big name fan in Farmtown. Um, it's a big difference in what, but now I think she could be losing that status because she's not playing Farmtown much anymore. She could be losing it. But um, we play this game called Township, right? And apparently, there's this cabal of uh, big name players in in this game that. 
people put up fan pages to these people. I mean, I know. Okay, so here's the thing, guys. I know that there are like some. They some, have fan pages. I don't have a fan page. All I have is a fan lore page. It's half insulting. Yeah, but there I'm are appalled. I know. I know. In some, I games, don't want any fan pages. No, she doesn't. But, but <laughs> I know that there are some games like I don't know, Call of Duty or whatever the fuck the current most current whatever is very popular is where some of the big players in those of those games have fans. Okay, fine. I get it. But we're talking about a Farmville knockoff. Why the fuck are there tribute pages to players of a Farmville knockoff? It is strange. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of pathetic. But anyway, but Kira's reaction to that was just, it was priceless. But I was, this whole, we were talking about, um, earlier is it earlier today yeah it probably was early today i'm in a time warp i haven't been sleeping much uh that i well it's come up multiple times this week where i've talked to people about something and they'll they'll justify the way they do their thing that they do by saying that's the way i learned it or that's the way i've always done it <laughs> and it's infuriating when people respond that way is that this because it implies that there's no room for growth in your craft in and it's just i i it, it drives me bonkers because fiction the, the the writing has changed and it has evolved and people jump right on how the tone has changed but they don't want to change the way their stories are structured they don't want to change i mean I was reading something by an author who I actually like. It's, it, it's an earlier work of hers today. The number of fourth wall breaks, deliberate fourth wall breaks in this story were ridiculous. Um, stuff in parentheses, talking to the reader. It kind of, I think, was supposed to be like the character talking to themselves. But really, you can only get away with that kind of thing in first-person narration, not in third. And it just... It, it just came across as talking to the audience a ton and in parentheses, no less. Well, this hasn't oh, been God. acceptable. This hasn't been acceptable in fiction in a long damn time. And this story is only a few years old. So I was like, what the fuck? And the thing is, I just rolled my eyes so hard. I saw an alternate version of us. What are they drinking? Margaritas and they're on a beach. I'm mad. Yeah, I'm mad too. Cause it, it's, it's hot here and not in a nice beachy way. Um, but it is as is hitting on the waiter. Yeah. <laughs> but don't touch. Um <laughs> but you know, for like talking to the reader is and I I have I've had sometimes I look at some of my works and I go did I just break the fourth wall there? I mean, it's close. It becomes, it's, I don't do it actually ever overtly, but there are times when it comes perilously close to the character talking to the audience. Um, it doesn't it doesn't happen much, but every once in a while I go, okay, yeah, I was a little bit too caught up in my character voice that my narrative is like the character's talking, which like, again, you can only do that and only to a certain degree in a first-person narrative. You really can't do it in third. But... Some people do it all the time. It's like they just talk to their they just talk to their audience, uh, and they don't even realize they're doing it. And when you when you say something, um, you're like, well, okay, well, you kind of talking to your audience. It's like, well, that's the way I learned, or this is a writer I really like who I'm emulating, or it's never bothered anybody before, 
or whatever. And that, and that's why I said, Tara, a habit is not a virtue. It's just a habit. Yeah, now, I mean, some habits, some habits are good, but it doesn't mean just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean that you should keep doing it that way. Especially and, if it's wrong. Yeah, just most especially just, if it's wrong. You, and also, stagnating as, as, a, as a writer is like the biggest sin you can commit within that range of behaviors. I mean, you know, obviously, if, if you kill your neighbor, you you got bigger issues than, than your bad writing habits. <laughs> First off, you got a body to get rid of, and that's a huge problem. <laughs> but, uh... I'm adjusting my microphone sensitivity. We'll see if that is causing the pop problem. I may need a new microphone. Um, I recommend the one that I got. It, um, it's really nice. It's super comfortable. Although it would tether you permanently to your computer because it's USB only. Unless you got one of those converter things. Mm, yeah, that could be not great. But yeah, well, the problem was that all the Impal gaming, gaming headsets were sold, sold out, out the next day. Yeah, yeah there was so. a coupon. I got a really good... Um, deal it's really nice let me gaming let me tell you i'm gonna tell you guys a story so jilly has been talking about mechanical keyboards for quite a while there's been big discussions about it and you know red switches and brown switches and something switches and i was like okay i'm gonna go down to best buy and get one of those little boys to ch show me some mechanical keyboards. Because I, I, I want to be able to have it under my hand. I, I want to be able to push the buttons. So I go in there. And I barely make it into this section where all the keyboard stuff are. And I ended up in the gaming section. Which was where all the mechanical keyboards are. And I'm there for like, I don't know, 20 seconds. Before some bright eyed boy. About 19. Shows up to help me. Which I fully expected to happen. Because it's Best Buy, and that's where you go to meet a 19-year-old boy to help you buy, who who will help you spend your money on on ridiculous like electronics. Okay, so I tell him I need a mechanical keyboard, and I'm a writer, and I want that. I'm pretty sure that I want a red switch, but I want to try um, out various switches. And so he takes me around. He leads me around practically by my purse strap, and <laughs> shows me all of these all these keyboards. Sorry, my eyes burning, and. I tried them out and everything. And we're talking about gaming. And he said, well, you know, if you're going to game, you know, I was talking about whether I wanted a Bluetooth or if I wanted a hardwire. He said, well, if you're going to game with it, you want a hardwire, it'll cut down your latency. I said, sometimes I have a latency problem with my typing because I'll type faster than my Bluetooth keyboard can keep up with. And he agreed that I probably needed to go back to a hardwired keyboard, which I had not been hardwired on a keyboard front in probably a decade. So that was a big adjustment. My mouse is also. So he says, well, if you're going to get a new keyboard, you should probably get a new mouse. I said, do you work on commission? He was like, no. I said, okay. <laughs> so we get over there and he's talking about various things with the mouse. And I'm like, well, I really like this one with the, you know, the thumb rest and he's helping me figure stuff out. And he says, you can make the lights match if that's important to you. I said, it is. Thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate it. And, we're talking about gaming, and uh, I was uh, telling him that my current mouse really isn't very sensitive. I mean, is is it lags a little when I'm playing um, games. And he was like, I wish my mom was cool like you. 
fat fetus. And I can't <laughs> even get mad because he's like, what, 19? Yeah. I mean, you, you could be his mom. That's the terrible part about it. So I said, how old's your mom? He goes, 43. Oh. Yeah, he does wish his mom was cool like you. I said, well, I'll be 45 this year. He says, man, I just didn't get lucky in the mom department. <laughs> I said, look at you. You're an adult with a job. She she did her part. <laughs> there you go. Buy your mama some candy on your way home. <laughs> and how is the keyboard? I know you didn't get a red switch because it's too noisy. I did get a red switch. I got a cherry red. You got, I thought you got cherry blue. No, I got cherry red. Huh. I thought you had a cherry blue switch. That's why it was so clicky. Well, now you got me wondering. Did I? Yeah, I well, I'm just curious. A hyper. It's a hyper X. Shut up, Margaret. Go get in the corner. <laughs> I shared the link with you. Um, yeah, you did. We, I'll go look for it. I know it's cherry something. My um, mine lights up red, and my mouse lights up red. Um, well, my mouse will actually be blue, green, or red, and I made it go red so it match my keyboard. But yeah. I wanted to punch that kid in the mouth, but I couldn't even say anything because I was actually older than his mama. Just. <sighs> it's a metal alloy. Oh, it is a chair. Is this it? Well, they have a cherry red and they have a cherry MX blue. Now I'm going to hold on. I'm going to, uh, I shall return. <laughs> because now I have to go look at the box. Because it's driving me nuts. Talk. Talk. <laughs> it's crazy. She's going to go look at that. Uh, the thing is, I could search our chat to find the link. See if she sent me the link. Find the link. The problem is, we send each other a lot of links. So that's not any good. Um, let me get back to the podcast chat. Da, 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 da. Close that down. Uh, it's Cherry MX Blue. You were right. I think the cherry is was messing me up. And yes, I kept the box in case something happened to it. I'm that old lady who does that. I keep the box for six months just in case. <laughs> I do that too. Uh, but actually for the for the mechanical keyboard, I would probably keep the box anyway because I don't know. And the, the switches would probably be fine getting smooshed in a box, but I actually wouldn't want to take the chance. Well, it comes with, it, it it came with a little thing, um, a little case. Nice. Mine didn't come with a case. It just came with a box. 
It's one of those little mesh cases. I guess it's for if, you know, taking it for gaming to a LAN party or something. Do you guys still do that? Do you do LAN parties? That's, that's, that's probably not what it's called now. It probably really isn't called that. Yeah, that was... <laughs> As if I hadn't just dated myself by actually I giving you really my age. It. Yeah. Now I've done it. Shut up, Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> what are they called now? I I'm pretty sure that they don't actually get together for those oh. anymore. <laughs> oh. Well, then why the hell does my keyboard have a little carrying case? I don't know. In case you wanted to go to the coffee shop? How would I know? But Actually, I, you know, my nephew does um, occasionally go over to one of his clan member uh, house and he takes his gear with him when he goes. Well, there you go. Because he hates I, his uh, his friend's extra gear sucks, apparently. I think more groups than not are, it's so pervasive that more, more or not are all online. But yeah, if you've got like local friends who... But yeah, those of you who don't know what a land party is because your children, you fetuses, um, back in the day before the internet was as um, expansive as it is and as stable as it is and as fast as it is, it was easier to gather up all your friends in one place to play games than to try to use AOL to dial up and play together online. <laughs> right. You needed to play with somebody who had a local area network. So you could all play these, you know, multiplayer games. Like I really dated myself. I used to, I used to go to land parties to play Duke Nukem, which was a terrible experience. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and so the, I, you know, not, not everybody had any kind of reasonable network at home. So like if anybody happened to have a network, you would all go and you'd all be hardwired in. Because we didn't have Wi-Fi, and you'd all play the same game. So, LAN party. Now, I have friends who do tabletop now. They meet for, for tabletop games, uh, which is probably the same people who were having LAN parties 20 years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like if you're going to get together, you're going to play board games. Because if we're just going to play video games, why wouldn't I do that in the comfort of home, right? Right. In your underwear. <laughs> With no bra. <laughs> but yeah. It's a Cherry MX Blue HyperX Alloy FPS Mechanical Gaming Keyboard. The fact that I even wanted a gaming keyboard, he was like... Oh. He was so thrilled to meet me. Well, I bet I could have adopted him. The blue, blue and brown are both. I think blue is slightly better for typists. It's you know, but people have preferences. Whether it's blue or brown is is better because um, they're both tactile. But the blue has a click. I like that clicky confirmation, the click click of the switch. But for people who type a lot, it makes such a difference in hand fatigue. So I haven't had any hand cramps since I switched to the mechanical. And I was getting a hand crap in the center of my palm that would make my hand curl up like a claw. Yeah. It was so painful. On, it, on the days I still have my, I, I use my lap, laptop, which is a membrane keyboard. I have to type harder to have precision, even though in theory, the actuation force on a, on a membrane keyboard is actually less than 
um, what it should be on a mechanical keyboard. The issue is there's because there's no confirmation to your finger and, and you can't force all your fingers to type at, with the same amount of actuation force, you wind up typing with all of your fingers harder. And so you wind up with finger fatigue, hand fatigue that you don't get with a mechanical keyboard. So yeah, it just, yeah. Claire was Claire got uh Claire got her keyboard a, what like a month or six weeks ago Claire. So yeah, it's it's a lot different, and when you have to go back to membrane, it can be a rough writing day. It's like I get to the end of the day, my hands hurt, my fingers are numb. It's not pleasant. Yeah, I have a small um, HP laptop. Um, I um I have a pavilion, and uh. I look forward to my first writing day on that after being on a mechanical keyboard for so long. Not looking forward to it. I'll soon you'll be like me. You'll have two mechanical keyboards, one that you take with you. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so in terms of, so habits, so it, it's, if you've learned something like we talk about point of view a lot, right? So, <laughs> uh, when it comes to changing point of view, it used to be you didn't. You didn't change point of view in a scene. That was the way it used to be. And then mid-scene POV transitions became more, more common. Because what had happened is people needed to be able to change point of view in the middle of a scene. And how do you do that when you're not supposed to do that? And so what was happening, people were doing things that were honestly disruptive that were not good. Like they put in a scene break or they put in extra blank lines for some reason. And, um, and then think that that was better than smoothly transitioning the point of view. And I, I was talking to somebody recently who was just utterly traumatized by having to do a mid scene POV transition. And she says, can't we just put in a single blank line to indicate the POV has changed? And I said, well, it's, it would not be my recommendation, no. And she said, but how will people know that there's a POV change? I'm like, oh, honey. And part of, part of her, her thing was, I'm like, we can phrase it. But you you got to write it real, well. But part of her thing was is that people are going to think I'm head hopping. I'm like, mm, okay, and here's the thing. Just because you put a scene break or a blank line does not mean you're not head hopping. Because head hopping is not switching POV. No. And honestly... Head hopping is switching POV repeatedly, sometimes in the same fucking sense. Or in the same, you know, every two paragraphs. One or two, if it's a really long scene, you can probably do two POV switches. But usually one mid-scene POV transition is fine. And that's really all you get. But I had somebody recently tell me that putting breaks in every time, the reason why they put breaks in at every POV switch was so they wouldn't be head hopping. I said, no, no, no. You are still head hopping. You're just doing it in a very annoying way because you are changing. <laughs> you, you, are, you are putting in a POV, you're putting in a scene break every three or four paragraphs. That is in the same, and it's all one scene. It's like, you know, actually it was a very long scene, right? So this very long scene with at least 20 
scene breaks in it. And that, but they're not scene breaks, they're POV breaks, except you can't visually tell a POV break from a scene break because they use the same marker. Um, and they said, well, if I don't do that, won't I be head hopping? I said, no, you're already head hopping. You're just doing it in a way that's guaranteed to piss people off <laughs> because this is crazy. It looks ridiculous. So, and they said, but this is, and then their answer to that was, this is how I learned it. I'm like, so what? So what? This is how I learned it is not a virtue. It's a data point. It's, a it's data actually point. a nightmare. Yeah, it is a nightmare that somebody taught you that. But it's just a data point. That's just data. I learned it this way. So what? It's wrong. You know, if and even putting Doesn't in a blank, right, right, even putting in just a blank line to indicate and this was the line of the person who was trying to get a blank line as opposed to a scene break. So can't we put a blank line? I said, well, won't I be head hopping? I said, if you're head hopping, you're head hopping whether you put a blank line there or not. The formatting is not what determines whether or not you're head hopping. So quit doing crazy stuff. If you don't like, if it really traumatized you to that degree to have a mid-scene POV break, POV change, then don't do mid-scene POV changes. Because formatting is not your problem. But the Ever. thing is, people are really stuck in the way they learned it, in their habit, in whatever their thing is. This is the way I've always done it. This, I mean, I learned shitty stuff in college. I learned, I, I'm the, I admitted on a podcast that I was taught in creative writing classes to never um, do scene breaks. That everything should be transitions. <sighs> that you shouldn't break a scene. That you have just really shitty advice. I want to yeah. smack somebody over that advice. And my, can you imagine? I mean, I and the thing is, I stuck to that for a long time because that's the way I was trained was that you had to be able to transition through your story, and your only breaks were chapter breaks. That is what I was taught in college, and that is ridiculous. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, when I was um, in high school, I was taught to double space after a sentence. I got over it. Mm -hmm. Although, you, once in a while, you encounter that person who insists it's the only way to do it. It really is not. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. No one wants it that is. anymore. It looks like you're an amateur. Don't mm -hmm. ever turn in a manuscript to a publisher with a double space after your sentence. It is, um, it fucks up the, uh, what you call it, the um, formatting and spacing and pagination in your book. And it can cause immense problems when it comes to production. If one gets missed, um, now personally, because I sometimes do it after the fact, like I'll do it without meaning to. I'll do a double space um, search and and we'll find and replace with one space to make sure I don't have any um, left. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of I was stopping and thinking and I didn't realize I already had the space there. Uh, so sometimes you wind up with doubles and it can be hard to see, especially some fonts are harder to see the extra space than others. But Word will actually look for double spaces if you turn it on. If you go into your... Um, options as far as like your grammar and spelling check go 
and um, it will give you an option to check for double spaces to make sure that you're not doing it. Although I can't think of, if you do it a lot, that's got to be the most annoying way to find your double spaces um, is to go through them one at a time. Just do, right. a, just do a global search and replace if you're prone to the, an accidental double space. But people who do them religiously, it's like, why are you still doing this? Are you still you're stuck in you're stuck in typewriter days? That's where that's where that came from was typewriters. But honestly, I would actually look for a triple space first and then do a double space. Um, because sometimes my thumb will just rest on the um the space button and it's even more prominent now that I'm more than a mechanical keyboard, which is a lot more sensitive than my membrane keyboard. I found several instances in finding Atlantis where I did three spaces after a sentence because I was stopping to think. I just, I, I do the search for the double and then just hit replace all until it comes back with zero. Um, but whatever you do, whatever your habit is, if until you, un unless you know it's the best practice, right? This, this is one of my habits. It's a good practice. This is one of my habits that's neutral. It doesn't like, okay, so do you keep your, do you write in one document or do you write each chapter in separate documents? That is totally up to you, right? It's a process thing. Do you stitch your document together at the end or do you have it or do you write it all in one? If it, whatever works for you is what works for you. That is a very neutral thing, right? It's completely individual preference. Um, so there are some things that are like best practices. There are some things that are just man. And then there's some things that are just bad practices and putting a tag or putting, you know, putting your, your, um, throwing down the gauntlet on a bad practice because you learned it that way. So what it just, because it's a habit doesn't mean it's a, like we said, it's because the habit doesn't mean it's a virtue. Uh, if you're going to stick with your bad habit, at least own that, you know, it's a shitty habit. And quit inflicting it on other people. I'm just saying. Because one of the problems with double spaces, it's just this is a double spaces is kind of a trivial thing. But one of the problems with double spaces is it can make it hard to find other formatting problems. Because what if those, what if you've got extra spaces at the end of a paragraph? Extra spaces at the end of a paragraph can make it hard to adjust the paragraph formatting. So, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, POV labeling is just, it's very amateurish. It's atrocious. The but only I, time a professional um, publishing situation will accept that is if you're writing a first person and alternate point of view, which is disgusting. But okay. If you do, you can unlabel your POV. Otherwise, no. No. I, I, I mean, the last time, I mean, I, and the funny thing is, I've said stuff to people about you really should do this, and they'll throw me a professional work that does it. And every single time that thing is self published, it's not pro. It's not put out by Penguin. It's not put out by Harlequin. It's not put out by any reputable publisher. It's self published. I'm like, you, if you, you come up with an example for me that was published in the last 10 years and isn't self-published, and then we can talk. And the thing is, I say the 10 because, years thing because there's stuff that was okay 10, 10 years 20, ago. 30 years that isn't fly now. I mean, yeah, I mean, you couldn't actually 
publish one of those 80s rapey bodice fix 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 things today um, with a with a pro house without getting it labeled rape fic and they would make you um make you make it would have to be clear to the reader that the the heroine did consider it rape that's why in the 70s and 80s it was not unusual to find a heroine in a historical novel that was 13 or 14 years old because that was historically accurate today in in the historical market the writers immediately make it clear that their heroine is at least 18 years old <laughs> They're doing a hand wave thing of going like, because we don't want to, you know, because it's offensive. It's offensive, and there's no point in offending your readership because they're not going to want to buy that kind of stuff. But I mean, in the '70s, you saw examples of more books being written with stuff being put in parentheses, and it wasn't talking to the reader. It was like filling in extra details or something, or it was like characters' internal thoughts were put in parentheses. Sometimes that doesn't happen anymore. So you can't throw me a Stephen King book, you know, set in the '70s as, as proof that was written in the '70s as proof that it's okay to use parentheses in a story. There is no place for them in modern fiction. Finding footnotes in a fiction novel is a special hell. Yeah. I mean, like, just, what? No. It's changed. It, it, fiction's changed. So it's interesting that like people are, are so determined to defend what they yeah, do. He might be exempt, but he should not be exempt. Authors like Terry Pratchett should be on their game and they should bring their A game to the table and they should grow and change and develop as a writer until the day they stop writing because all they do if they're exempt is provide a terrible example for the writers who look up to them just saying yeah i agree i, I love Nora roberts but is he i had no idea I would not, um, but I would not hold her up as an example of of POV mechanics. I do. Yeah, I love Nora, but I would never. Oh God, really? Well, that's depressing, but not necessarily surprising. I mean, because writers. Um, but uh, no, Nora. I, I love Nora Roberts. I, I love the JD Rob. Um, I love it all, but she is a head hopper. Who so hops? You, you would not and emulating being in, you know, sometimes emulating some, an author you really like, like you emulate emulate something about their style or something. I think we all do it at, at points. It's like because you're influenced by what you read. But you have to be careful about that, that you're not emulating the wrong thing or you're not being inspired by the wrong thing. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't ask Nora Roberts to give a class on point of view. <laughs> no. I love her, but no. No. <laughs> it's sort of like... um. 
some writers do witty super well. They do, some writers do funny very well. And witty can be funny, but they aren't necessarily synonymous. Um, and emulating sometimes, um, and let's look at, okay, so look at, if you take a character that's snarky, okay? We all love a snarky character. We all love, we love our Rodney. We love Styles. We love, um, you know, we, in fandom, in, in original fiction, whatever it is, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us really gravitate towards characters who have kind of a caustic wit or they're snarky or they're sarcastic. Well, the line between snarky and abusive can be very thin at times. And an author who has a good mastery of that kind of witty repartee or that kind of um, snarky banter, it can be a delight to read. Somebody inspired by that can emulate that in a way that leans towards an asshole. We see this with Styles you know I mean? and Tony Dinozo and careful with your language. Yeah. You have to be very careful. I think it boils down to um for me, I try to focus on actions rather than individuals. Um, especially in, in McKay's point of view, I try to um have him address people's actions and not attack them personally. Because when you start attacking somebody personally, you you turn them into a victim. And if your character is attacking them and they're the victim, that means your your character is the abuser. And so you have to be careful when you are picking up that kind of thing. And because you can pick up, look at something good an author does or a bad thing an author does and translate it in a way that isn't good at all. So if you're inspired, you just have to watch that kind of thing is, are you translating this in a way in your voice where, you know, is that wit or is that assholery? And, you know, be objective about it. Be objective about how your character's coming across. I can't tell you the number of stories I've read where Tony, I think the author is going for him being um, sarcastic or caustic or, you know, witty or something, but he just comes off as a dick. I remember reading something once where um, Tony was, um, he ended up in a new organization and they're, and he's surrounded by his allies and they're all male and their, their enemy was a woman and you were supposed to hate the woman, but I'm reading it. And I got so deeply uncomfortable with this woman being in a room with these four or five, maybe even six really aggressive men who hate her. And it just got so deeply uncomfortable. I had to stop reading. I was like, I know the author didn't mean it the way it presented that I, you could see that wasn't their intention, but there was something about all that male aggression and ugly language and ugly thoughts and behavior that it, I feared literally for this woman who was on my computer screen. So I had to take a step back because it's, it's like you're going to be out and you see a woman with somebody, let's be honest, with a man who looks or is acting in a very aggressive way and you're thinking to yourself oh god is he gonna hurt her 
that's how I felt reading that scene. I was like, oh God, are they, are, are, are they going to hurt her? Are they going to kill her? Are they going to do worse? I remember that. And I seem to recall that she was seated and they were all standing, which did not help. It would have been bad enough if everybody had been seated at a table where everybody was on an equal footing in that regard. But as I recall, she was seated and everybody yeah. was looming over her. And I know that wasn't the writer's intention, but that's what happened. And I was like, <sighs> I was like, I'm not supposed to feel sympathy for this character, but right now I'd like to see all these guys fired. Yeah. That's the way you wind up feeling. And you know, like your author, the author of these characters who, who love them aren't intending to put Tony in the role of the abuser, but I would say, especially in NCIS, Tony winds up in the role of the abuser way more often than I'm comfortable with because people are trying to, you know, standing up for yourself does not mean beating other people down. That is not what we that did a means. whole po podcast on, you know, not, you know, assholery in your character. There's a fine line between, um, um, being independent and assertive and being abusive. It is. And, and you, and I think sometimes what I see is I can see like the threads of inspiration in these stories where they're, I can almost see where they're taking their inspiration from with the way the character, how they're standing up for themselves. And those threads of inspiration are good, but you have to be careful when you're taking, you know, th that you're, you're keeping what's good about it and not tacking on. Cause sometimes people just try to make something extra, right? They try to take it next level. And sometimes the next level confrontation becomes a crime. So if, you know, reading a really satisfying confrontation between let's say Tony and Ziva or something, right? Um, let's say you read a really satisfying confrontation between those two in one story. And so somebody goes to write and they're trying to, to take it to the next level, right? Well, next level sometimes comes off criminal. <laughs> it's like, that's not a confrontation anymore. That was just abuse. And you have to make careful, precise choices when it comes to that kind of thing. I remember when I was writing Ascendant um, and there's a scene where Steve... Um, Ziva is lurking in the stairwell waiting for Steve to leave so she can continue her confrontation with Tony and Steve knows she's there because he's a fucking sentinel and she's being kind of a dumbass um, so he goes and confronts her and takes her knife from her and threatens to kill her and uh, tells her if she ever comes near Tony or his island that he, that he will cut her fucking head off and <laughs> he cuts her to let her know he's serious he takes blood you know, first blood, so to speak. Um, I agonized over that scene and writing that scene for a very long time. And I, even like, when I plotted it, I was like, "Can I? Can I write that? Can I write that?" And it, 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 when I got there, it was like, "Okay, okay." And I rewrote it like six times before I was happy with what I did. And sometimes I'm still like, "Did I go too far there?" And I have a similar scene. And ties that bind where John has to correct that woman. And I actually ended up because in ties that bind in the universe, gender is almost second to uh, sexuality and to dynamic. Um, he treated her like he would treat any other dom. And the only reason he ever hesitated to begin with was because, because she was a civilian. Um, 
her gender didn't matter in the in that particular universe and i actually had to write it as if as if summers was a man and then go back and change all the pronouns after the fact yeah it can be very i mean if i if i'm uncomfortable with how a scene's going especially with that kind of the, the gender dynamic thing um, where the, a male character is being aggressive with a female character. I don't want it to start coming across as um, violence against women. So I've, you know, I, I really am very careful about how I walk that line, even with a character like Ziva. Ziva, I really can't stand her and she's a highly trained assassin, but she's also very tiny. Yeah. So you just have to kind of walk that line very carefully to make sure that, um, I mean, there's one story where I, she definitely winds up, I have her killed a story, but she's killed from, she's killed by a sniper at long range, right? Like I would not have somebody kill her up close and hands on because it would just, to me, it would feel too uncomfortable, but you just kind of got to be careful of how you walk that line. Um, and sometimes you don't do it right. Sometimes you mess up. We've all been there. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I but the the fallback position for fucking up or not doing something right isn't. But I saw somebody else do it. You gotta think for yourself. I worked really hard on the the, the gender issues and ties that bind because it was more um, the the dynamic came first, um, and and. So, yeah, but I also tend to put that in my head to begin with. It's like I like I said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't actually care what's in my character's pants until it comes time for the two characters to do things with those things in their pants to make other people happy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's when it matters, and even then, it only matters because of mechanics. <laughs> what goes where um. <laughs> I think it's just, it's important as a writer that you be willing to look at what you do and how you, how you do it and how you got to where you are and be able to be objective about it and recognize where you need work. I know the things I need to work on and some of them are harder to do than others. You know, we never, I mean, we never get perfect. We're never, no one's ever going to be perfect, but we, no, there's a difference between recognizing <laughs> you're not going to achieve perfection and being okay with stagnating. And I think a lot of people are very okay with being stagnant. Um, and so, that's, if you are, that's fine. This podcast isn't for you. We said it before and we'll say it again that craft shows like this are about um, improving yourself as a writer um, going forward in, in your, in, in your journey. And if you're not interested in going forward, then we're not talking to you and that's fine. And if you want to improve, it's the, okay. the whole idea of this is look at the things you do because quote, that's the way you learned it and is the way you learned it serving you is it a good is it actually a best practice is it not i mean it, it's it's worth looking at those things um we've talked we've talked before um i was talking to somebody recently who uh really struggled getting through 
uh, a beta that had no chapters in it. Um, to me, I'm just gonna. This is just this is just my opinion here, folks. To me, turning over an unchaptered story to beta is like turning over a rough draft, which is to me one of the most disrespectful things you can do to a beta. Um, it, it to me, it shows a tremendous amount of disrespect for their time that you would turn over a rough draft. Uh, we've talked we've talked before about how to engage in the beta process. I think we've done more than one show about how to engage in the beta process. But if you if you are someone who writes without chaptering, and I know there's probably more people out there who write without chaptering than I'm personally comfortable with, like but, two, yeah. <laughs> but consider that there are consider that there are whole web pages devoted to how to chapter your work after the fact. It apparently has enough, there are significant number of people who do it. Who do it. So, whatever. You guys oh, are Rogue, oh my god, I'm so disappointed in you. You guys are out there, I recognize it's a thing. But, to me, one of the things you do when you are doing your edit is you're putting your fucking chapters in. It is not a last step. And, <laughs> honestly, I think when it comes to editing, if you have not chaptered, it should be your first step. Because, um, when you're when you're looking at the body of your work and you haven't done your chapters yet, you you need to go in and do your chapters first before you do anything else because you need to round out your scenes. You need to create discrete pockets in your story, aka your chapters, um, because your scene should be complete, but your chapter should um, have a have a beginning, middle, and an end. Right? Yeah, you gotta look at so your if your chapters aren't balanced, uh the best way to know that is to actually do your chaptering first. And then you will know, okay, so chapter one is fifteen pages, chapter two is thirty-six pages. That's a problem. And you'll know if you come into a chapter where you're like, I think this is the chapter and it's six pages and everything else is twenty. You got something missing, baby, and and that's because the, chapters that's, and scene breaks these things create pace. And if you've got a ten-page chapter and a thirty-six-page chapter and a five-page chapter, you are literally destroying your pace through physical mechanics. It's like there's nothing. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. You have you have you haven't edited your story. This is this is my feel on it. You haven't edited your story if it doesn't have chapters. You can't have because you have not assessed your pace, you haven't assessed your flow, you haven't assessed, you know, is is your story arcing in the right place? None of that. If you don't have your narrative, those breaks in. Those are your big breaks in the narrative. That's how you're moving the story along, right? And those are the discrete packets that you're delivering to the readers, your chapters. So if you've written something novel length, now I would say up to a certain length, you don't have to worry about chaptering, right? So if, if you wrote a 20,000 word story, I am not, you know, and you and you want to put it out as a as a one shot, I've got nothing to say about that. How you affect Sometimes I'll do a part one, two, and three if I'm doing something like that. If, I, if, if I'm under 40K and I don't actually want to, you know, do a chaptering, I will split it up into acts, um, act one, two, and act three. Um, and, uh, or, but I'm now labeled them as parts, so, you know, my readers don't get confused. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, if I've labeled it parts, it's because I'm doing something that's not a chapter. But even that piece, I can tell what it is. I can feel the beginning, middle, and end. You know, there's a, still a narrative arc, right? So, but anyway, I'm talking about novel length works here, right? If you if you submit a novel length work to a beta that's unchaptered to me, you sent them a rough draft. Even I did once get, get a um from a from a meat space author. She gave me um her printed out manuscript and asked me to read it. And I noticed the first page didn't have chapter one on it. I was like, okay, maybe she just, you know, didn't. 25 pages in, I'm thinking, this is one really long-ass chapter. So I start flipping. 426 pages. Not one motherfucking chapter break. Ugh. So I took it back to her and I said, um, I'm not really interested in reading your rough draft. Let me know when you're ready for my opinion. I would prefer to work with your third draft, actually. Oh, well, this is, I wasn't going, you were going to do what? <laughs> what were you not going to do? Were you not going to do a second draft or a third draft? Then you, what? I said, you know, if you want to live the rest of your life in the slush pile, then you continue to send publishers and agents your first draft. Unchaptered, apparently. It's that simple. You, those of you out there who, who write without chaptering, many of you, you know exactly, many of you, you know exactly where your chapter breaks are because you have picked up through what you've read and your experiences with, with reading and, and writing, you have a flow in your narrative arc. It's there. You just have to go in and put the labels in. Not everybody has that. Some people, they go in and they figure out where breaks are, and then they have to make the chapters into a chapter. And that's a different kind of first edit than for somebody, um, Lady Holder, somebody who has a natural kind of arc to her narrative when she writes. So she could put her chapter breaks in at the end, and it wouldn't flow any differently than if she'd put them in at the front. But... I mean, it's not my way, but it, I understand it works that way for some people. But if you're sending it off to your beta reader, I have, I have really strong feelings about sending rough drafts off to betas. I think it's, it is expecting, especially if you're not a super clean writer, it is expecting your beta, who is a volunteer, to be willing to do the heavy lifting, and it is the heavy lifting, trust me. If you're not a clean writer, putting in all your commas and your quote marks and stuff is the heavy lifting. They're, you're expecting them to do the heavy lifting on your story being readable for what, the rest of your fandom life? You need to learn how to do that shit for yourself. I think that, you know, very avid readers, and as is definitely one, um, you, you pick up scene mechanics, and chapter mechanics through osmosis. Is that, is that the right word? Osmosis. Yep. Absol absorbing that information from from works. Um, for me, the the first time when I decided that I needed to figure out how books were put together, uh, my mom had a cop had this Harlequin novel, and she had two copies of the same novel. And I asked her, I said, "Could I take this apart? Would it would it upset you?" And she was like, 
no, but what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to do an autopsy. <laughs> so I took this little Harlequin desire apart and I labeled all the pieces and I examined the scene structure and the chapter structure. And honestly, in retrospect, it probably wasn't the best choice I could have made for a book, but it worked. I taught myself um, the structure of a scene, the, the structure of a chapter. Um, and most of you who do a lot of reading, you know this instinctually because you've done a lot of reading. When, when you're doing your, when you, when you're writing, you will see where your natural scene breaks are, where your natural chapter ends are. The problem comes at the end when you've got, um, when you've done some natural chapter breaks that are maybe too long. So you need to go in and say you have a 26 page chapter, which is an anomaly in the rest of your book because the rest of them are like 10 to 15 chapters, which is about reasonable. Um, so you have this one big giant ass chapter in the middle of your book. You need to split it up. So you, so you need to go into that chapter and figure out where you can put what I would consider in your circumstances, you and just general, not anybody specific in the chat room, um, an artificial chapter break. You're going to have to create one in your narrative when the rest of it just flowed out of you yeah. so that you have a consistency in your novel. Yeah, I had that. Because readers thrive on consistency. I had that in demon demons of everything I've ever written. Demon runs to very long chapters. I would guess that if, literally of everything I've written that is chaptered, that demons would have the highest average chapter count, word count per chapter. I think it's like 6,500 words, mm. which is long. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that because especially since I do tend to hit the sweet spot of around five thousand to fifty five hundred, forty eight hundred would be the sweet. She put, I, you popped again. Anyway, I do. You hear me now? Yeah, I do typically hit close to that five thousand word. I like mark. it between forty five hundred and fifty five hundred um, when I'm that, chattering for a novel. Uh, and like so it's somewhere in the middle i'll have a chapter that'll be a little bit longer to kind of to create um moment to create a moment of kind of like where the reader is kind of teetering um right right before my climax i like to kind of draw them out with a little bit of a longer chapter maybe four or five hundred words longer than normal um and then uh, as I get to the end of my novel, I will sometimes drop down. So like if I'm going up to like 5,500 um, words, um, my last chapter might be 4,600. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally edge my readers. And anybody else who asked nicely when I was single. <laughs> I, had, I, had a, I had a point. I don't I don't remember which chapter it was now at the top of my head, but I had a point in Demons. Demons is just, it's going to have a little bit of a different vibe than anything else I've written because either in order to change those chapter lengths, I'd have to completely rewrite the story because every chapter has its own arc and it's not going to be, it's not an easy, you can't just move your chapter breaks. That doesn't work. So, but there was a point I hit where I was like at 8,200 words on a chapter. I finished it. I was like at 8,200 words. And I was like, holy hell. And curious, that is two chapters. <laughs> and sometimes you do have one arc that you split into two pieces. So that's not a problem. But the thing is, when I did do the split, 
by the time I rounded out the chapter, because you don't just cut a chapter in half, by the time I rounded out the chapter, one was 4,500 words and one was 5,000, which means my 8,200 word chapter swelled to um, 9,500 by the time I finished rounding out all the scenes and making sure the flow of the chapters was right. So it's not, it's not like just an instant thing. No, cre creating an artificial break in your chapter is actually a lot of work. Um, but I think in the end, it creates a better narrative and better reading experience for your reader. And this is one of the skills that you need to learn. Um, episode format. No, it's not always the answer. For me, um, telling a story in episode format is more about the kind of stories that I want to tell within the universe. Um, an episode is, for me, an event plus consequences. Whereas a chapter can be a series of events, some of the consequences, and anticipation of the next event. But your episode stories, your, your episode, your episodic work should should really be a collection of short stories that can practically stand on their own. That they can be read individually. Like you could go over to Sentinels of Atlantis right now and pick up the Queen and read it, and not need to read any of the other parts. I hope. It's my hope. <laughs> Because that's how I wrote it. That's how that's how I created Sentinels of Atlantis to be individual. Yeah, I mean, so it where it does build on, yeah, to create a bigger story that the stories stand on their own individually. I mean, I think of it being more of episodes like um, those that are have a common thread, as opposed to like the Law and Order episodes, which were ninety five percent completely standalone. They had no build on each other at all. Um, yeah, we talked about Myth Arc episodes and X-Files versus Monster of the Week episodes. Um, and that all comes into play when you're building a series. But uh, there's a huge difference between a chapter and an episode. Demons or wouldn't... There should be. I don't care. <laughs> I don't, if my chapters were all 9,000 words apiece, Demons would not work as an episodic series. No. It, it is a single novel. It's too now, immediate. Yeah, it, it and it and it has one overarching plot. So, um, where there are certainly certain subplots that, you know, might seem like they would jump out, you could tease that out as an episode. It doesn't work because it's still it's it's a subplot. It is not a it's not a side plot. <laughs> um, so. Demons, I think, is going to be one of those stories. I made a mistake um, in our episode challenge. I tried to write Revenant as an episode. Um, and an episodic. It, it just, it's not. It's a novel. It's a novel. And, it, and because it is a novel idea, it's not an idea that leans itself to episodes. Um, it lacks... it. The episodes are fine, but... In a novel format, I would be able to spread out and create um, intimacy with both um, 
Gaius and John and the two of them and the reader. And because of the way the episodes are structured, it's very um, clinical. The, the tone is clinical and, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm put off by the format that I created there. The writing itself is fine. It's just, it's missing so much because within the structure of a novel, you can create, um, so much intimacy and, uh, you can build in a way that you cannot build in episodes. It's one of those cases of where um, I lost it, you. Yeah. Did you or lose were me? you were just being quiet. I was pondering. <laughs> I was trying to think of how okay. to how to. <laughs> I, I, I can only speak to my uh, my own experiences of things. Is that if sometimes when you're doing something up that you think was going to be okay as an episode, is it doesn't? It's just because what's there is fine. It doesn't mean that you don't see the potential for more. And I yeah, think, I, and that's what yeah. I hear from you is that you look at it and you go, there's nothing wrong with it, but you know how much it could be. And that potential you don't feel is realized. I think that when you have a large ensemble class, um, cast that, uh, that a series will work really well, um, a serial um, episode series will work really well. Like Sentinels of Atlantis has a huge cast. So there was room for me to explore different characters and their points of view. But in Revenant, um, I mainly stuck with John's point of view and that's a problem. If I wanted to expand that into a series of episodes, then I needed to broaden my POV. Um, but because of the intimacy of, of what I was creating with Gaius, I actually narrowed my POV in the writing. And sometimes you don't know you're making a mistake like that until you've already made it. Then you're stuck with it. And, and really the only person writing challenge. The only person <laughs> who knows if it's a mistake is Kira, right? Because I've I've said in in the past that I've made a mistake and I mean I could offer an opinion because she asked me if if what I thought and I we did talk once that I didn't think the episode format was serving the story, but that's just was just my opinion. The ultimately the opinion that matters is Kira's because I have had times when I said I see a problem with a story and people have immediately emailed me and told me that there's no issue. Well, but that's sort of it's not, not about what you see um, right. as the reader. It's about what the writer sees because, and that's what I would tell all of you in the chat room, the, the writers in the chat room that um, or listening to the podcast is that um, when you write for you, making you happy um, will allow you to create a better work it's just yeah. i mean i had this with a um an ncis story that i read years ago and i followed it because it was back when i was taking the chance on works in progress and it, it was a substantial bit and the author had a tendency to finish their stories and i really enjoyed what was there of the story um and I happened to run across it, and it hasn't been updated in a long time. And I happened to run across it, and there's a, a the summary has been replaced that this fic's been abandoned. And I opened it, and she left a note on the very first, you know, above the summary 
that she just couldn't resolve the issues with the story that she had lost, that she'd spent so many hours of her life trying to fix the problems, that she shouldn't have posted it before it was finished, that she had tons of regrets about the whole story, and just this whole thing. And she said, but because she knew people loved it as it was, she was going to leave it up, but she wanted, you know, it was abandoned. She was not coming back to it. She needed to move on. Well, from my perspective, is that I don't know what problems she saw in the story because I thought it was fine. But my opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Because um, there are times when I read something of somebody's where I see that they could do like all of this with this idea. But what if they don't want to do all that? What if they just wanted this cute little cozy story and they didn't want to explore all this potential? Right? It, it does, it, it's what they want out of it is what's important. Because it's their your story goal to tell. As a writer, yeah, I mean, the goals you set for your writers, yourself as a writer, whether you're a pantser or a plotter, it doesn't matter. Um, in the end, when we're at the end, when we're typing the words, the end, which is honestly one of the most gratifying experiences you can have as a writer. <laughs> That's pure creative orgasm right there. The end. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I did it today. And, you know, honestly, I, we talked before about how long I've been writing. And I've been writing for a very long time. And I wrote the words the end the first time when I was 13. I started when I was 12. I finished when I was 13. Somewhere in that age, it was like maybe a year that I, that I was writing that book on a typewriter. Um, at least it was an electric typewriter. I'm not, I'm not that old. Um, but honestly, the first time I wrote the end was amazing. And today when I wrote the end was fucking amazing too. It always feels good. Whether it's on, and honestly, whether it's on a 1000 word story or it's on a hundred thousand word story, it always feels good to fit, say this piece is done. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need anything else. It's done. Yeah. It may need a big old edit, but it's yeah, a big old edit. <laughs> yeah, it needs to edit the fuck out of. But it's done. I, I wrote the end today, and so writing the end is awesome. Yeah, I also made some beautiful Drabble art for July for June. Why do I keep want to call it July? I, I think I might have actually skipped a month of May too, by the way. I, I don't remember. You keep trying to skip. You've done it like several days. You keep trying to skip June. <laughs> what is, what about June? What June stresses me out. <laughs> what did, what did June I've been waiting do for June for a long fucking time. <laughs> what did June do to you? <laughs> uh, I, I did a bunch of little. Kira got me. I don't know what was wrong with me. One, one night, the other night, it wasn't that long ago, the other night. I photojetted till my eyes were practically bleeding. <laughs> and I don't even like to do that. <laughs> but I, I, she, I love photojetting. I know, but you woke up to 35 images for Fluff Bingo. And I made, um, I made like five or six banners that night. And it was just, it was just like on and on and on and on and on. So, Yeah. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, part of it was that I found, um, I was looking for something to write that was short and I was looking to see if I had it. Cause I do actually have a bu bunch of stuff. I started as prompt fills 
that I didn't finish that were, you know, like partially through. So I was looking to see what I had um, that were partial prompt fills that where I'd started something that I could maybe finish. And I found three stories that um, were, were done that I had never put on my site. And so I wrote them two years ago, at least two years ago. So <laughs> I was like, well, I need art. You know, I got to do art for that. And I just, you know, it just got to be a whole, I think I went two days without sleeping at some point this week. It became a thing. It became a thing. There was photo jet madness happening. I think Kira woke up and said, you lost your mind. I was like, I know. It happened. There um, was a folder. I had a new folder in the Google Drive. And I was like, what is this? Really? What did she do? Really, Jillian? <laughs> I didn't even sleep that long. Yeah. But kink bingo. We're going to do kink. Not kink bingo. We're going to do fluff bingo. Um. And there is a spot for it on the, the on the just right server, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna do fluff bingo because we Everybody don't have enough things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did want to give people something small. I mean, quantum bang is a big thing. I mean, even rough trade is bigger. So we want to give people something that could be small. Not that we don't have the vignettes, and we've got the travels and but bingo is supposed to be just fun it's you know anything from I, I think we're going to do a bottom word word count and a top word count so that you don't drown you know this is saving you from yourself <laughs> but i'm thinking it's gonna be pretty broad my 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 first thought was like 500 to twenty five thousand. you know if you can't fit your stories in that range but you've got to have a bingo which means you've got to have at least four because we're doing a four by four grid so it will put the rules out, but you know, some people are going to want to go for blackout, which is mean 16 stories, but everybody's bingo card will be different. So just because you I would want to do a blackout if I was going to do it because hell yeah, because I'm just saying, just because it's satisfying, you can I'll call that last one marked by each one of them blackout. <laughs> <laughs> so, but everybody's card will be different. We're using a bingo generator. We're going to use a bingo generator to generate the cards. And you, everybody will be different. So you will, you will get what you get. You got to work with it. And for those of you who are in the sprints on a regular basis, that would be a good exercise to do. I mean, you could do 500,000 words. You just get your juices flowing. Yeah. And then go put it up and, you know, get your bingo and it'll be, it'll be fun. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be lighthearted. It's supposed to be, there, and unlike um, it can be crack as yeah. as you can you can crack bingo the hell out of that. We're your also entire gonna, fluff bingo could be about Bilbo and the vegetable ninja. Ninja. <laughs> um. No, if it's one story. No, you have to use it's one story per square. Yeah, you have to. I mean, some of your story pieces can be connected. I'm not gonna like police that, but you just can't write like 16 chapters or something and call it done. Uh, you gotta, you gotta, and you gotta embrace the spirit. Um, it would be the n squared, literally, because it's four by four. Yes, and <laughs> we are. We're gonna also. For the artists who want to do fluff bingo with art, they can request an art card. We have some people who want both. 
so that they can do art bingos. And they have, it has to be th same themes though. So if the, th and it has to be related to, well, I guess it doesn't have to be fandom. And, and unlike somebody already asked me this, I'm not planning on policing the fandom. The only re the I, we both, the reason we didn't allow RPF on Quantum Bang, we've already talked about this in a prior podcast when we first talked about the Quantum Bang, was because neither of us are convinced of the legality of the Quantum You know, honestly, I RPF. see people who write RPF are just asking to be sued. Yeah. And, and I just, I feel like it's, it is an illegal gray area because court cases go up about RPF on a fairly regular basis. And I just don't want to be in that kind of that gray that gray illegal space. So th there's already there's already enough legal grayness about fan fiction that I don't need to go without adding stuff like RPF and etc. So with fluff bingo, I don't care what you write because I'm not hosting it. You know, if you want to do RPF, I got no fucks to give. Put it on your own site, Margaret. Explain that what you just said. What? Are you fucking? I don't want to say this on the podcast, but are you? Can't I don't do want to repeat what you just said. Okay, I was going to ask you if you'd done that. Are you fucking serious? What? You know, I was reading the history. Speaking of Podfix, um legitimate podfix. I was reading the history of um, some of the Big Bangs and how they used to allow podfickers and then they took some out and then they didn't allow any media beyond art. So there were no videos and no podfix. And I'm thinking, why did you limit yourselves that way? Well, what was the point? I said missing something. I mean, I, I really never really involved myself in Big Bangs until Quantum. So... Well, I mean, I read, I read the um, some of the history of some of it, some of the arguments for and against about it not being like podfic not being transformative the way other transformative works were, like art and, and writing. But I don't, I don't really buy into that um, because a to me, it struck me that there were more podfickers involved in that in that particular than. People who were not doing podfix, and there was like, I don't want to yeah. use the word jealous, but it seemed, it felt like the, it, it felt like somebody was being territorial about the writing side of it, and yeah. petty, and was using their power to be petty about it. So, or both. I, I mean, I don't have both. enough experience with podfix to be able to handle that side of it. And I'm not sure how we would incorporate it with the theme of the challenge. Although we've talked about that, maybe opening it up to pod fic next year, a pod fix of for the stories that were written this year. That's cool. Pod fickers wanted to do that. Um, because that seemed like it would be on brand, right. For us, which is, you know, but like I said, it's not for I mean, I have my, I have my Podfic channel on Castbox, so they'd be pretty easy to um, host. I think you know the one of the things that we that we struggled to do, and I think we accomplished it maybe, was that to um, we 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 kept the art claim private to prevent authors from getting their feelings hurt if their fic didn't get a lot of picks 
you know? Um, so I think that allowing or opening up that thing to where pod figures could come in and pick a story from this year to do a pod fic on, like sign up for it like they would art, it does create a situation where maybe like one or two fics get pod fic and the others don't. Obviously, they all wouldn't get them because there's 28 of them and there's 1.9 million words on the Quantum Bang to be released pretty soon. Um, so I don't know about that, but I think it would be fun to have it on offer for pod figures to have a place to, you know, to bang. <laughs> <laughs> we want everybody to be able to bang. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's not something I... Um... Like I said, I don't have any personal experience with creating Podfic. Um, I don't have any personal experience with Podfic in a bang challenge. I've participated in a lot of bangs. Podfic was not part of any of them. Um, <laughs> the oral bang. <laughs> the oral bang. Uh, you know, you just... But if, if there was interest from a Podfic or people who wanted to participate, we would just have to figure out how that fit thematically in with the challenge. So... Um, but I, I think it's really short-sighted to say something like podfic isn't transformative because a well-done well done podfic is, it's taking that story to the next level. So yeah, I, I, just, I just think that that's really sh short-sighted saying something like that. I think videos would be cool too. I mean, I don't know. But we would accept video for art now. If there were like video right. people who claimed a story and did a video instead of like digital art, that that would have been fine as it is. Um, the hosting is different. You know, we'd have to host it differently. But yeah. But yeah, videos would be really cool. But if, if there were some video people who wanted to do videos for like past ones for, you know, we'd try to find way to bring other creative mediums into the challenge if people were interested it hasn't come uh, up you know it just so. i don't know it, it's it's been my experience in fandom when you start limiting how people can be creative on that level you create a lot of resentment so i'm not surprised in, in reading that history to see a lot of those 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 fiction bangs just kind of fall apart yeah that it would just kind of go, but, and I am considering a playlist for mine. And the thing is, we do need one of the reasons why we wanted to do the quantum bang. That one of the, part of the impetus for the quantum bang was, you know, me just getting fed up with bangs telling me just minute stupid rules, just <laughs> and making up stupid rules in the middle. In the middle, yeah. I mean, all all of the rules we have either are about administration. Well, we do have a theme because it's our experience that when there's not some kind of focus, literally nothing gets done. People think they want no focus. It's usually not true. And Fix It was a huge umbrella of canon divergence. So it's a huge lump. So that's why we picked Fix It. And because I love it. But within that umbrella, we didn't want to limit by other, as long as it's a fiction-based fandom, we didn't care what fandom you use, what pairing. You People thought, some of me thought we said you couldn't write incest. That's not true. The only, I wish it was. Yeah, but we didn't. The only place we drew the line was at stuff that would potentially put us in a questionable circumstance legally. 
um, when which it came underage and pedophilia, which yeah, underage RPF and there and and also originally I had been we had, we had been okay or more me because I hadn't really talked to Kira about this in the formative stage, um, with hosting stories in other languages on our site, and then we kind of had a kind of a like I you know we talked about it and I had a wake up moment about it that that's kind of questionable because I don't actually know what that says. So, right. I mean, I don't think we can host content that we can't read um, because it could be, it could be some really questionable be porn and just running it through Google translate doesn't really work. So ultimately we decided if somebody wants to do a story in another language that they're welcome to, but the other language has to be hosted off site. So that was a midstream change, which I felt like we had to do legally, but most of the restrictions about what you can't do are about what we feel like protects the site legally. And I don't want to get sued. Yeah. I, I had to keep my coffee dollars in my pocket. Um, so, because y'all don't want to know me without coffee. So the, the impetus for this was about removing some of the limitations that I've experienced in other bang challenges, you know, and yes, the word count is a barrier for some people. Um, sorry. <laughs> is there a particular reason why we were sugar, sugar? <laughs> it's my alarm to take my medication. Ah. <laughs> I don't like to be bossed around by my phone with with um with a uh, aggressive music. Yeah. Well, okay. Um but we I just didn't want goofy restrictive rules. I mean, I I saw a bang pimp recently where I mean in it was a very it was it was called a multi fandom bang, but the list of fandoms is ridiculously small. <laughs> so okay, it was like she she created a bang, but only of the things that she liked, and she also specified pairings. Yeah, in a couple of the fandoms, the pairing was specified that in that particular fandom you could only write this pairing. It was like, wow, okay, I'm not playing with that. No, it's so, like, look, dude, if you just want people to get people around and write for you, just just, just say it. Just come right and say it. But it for people who find the entry limit of the 50k, although you guys conquered, you guys took you know, took that scale that 50k like a boss because the average word count is almost 70,000. So just saying. But seriously though, those of you who are in the sprints, I think that you've all learned that 50k in a year is utterly possible for for anyone. As could do 50k in a year. Um, she already left. She had to take care of her baby. Um, and if you're listening to this later, Robbie, I hope you feel better. Uh, better she does let her her kittens listen or her cats listen to my podcast because cats love me. If you've got a cat, they will love the podcast. If you've ever done nano, you can do the quantum bang. I'm just saying, but. If if that fifty, what I was gonna say is that fifty k in the year. I mean, some of these guys in sprints are doing two and three thousand words a day, who don't write very fast at all. And oh. some of you bitches are doing five and ten thousand words a day, and I don't even know what to do with you. I mean, just oh, I gotta slow it down before you burn out. 
All I got to say to you is you can do two. Um, yeah, you can do two. So two works, two works. But if 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 the if you want to participate in something like that, and the fifty thousand is an issue for you, maybe you just aren't somebody who plots novel length. It, and it's good to know yourself. There is the another minion, um, Becca, one of our mods on the Just Right server. She runs the Every Fandom Bang, so which has I think three thousand or five thousand is their minimum. I think it might be five thousand yeah. on the on the bang and three thousand on the reverse bang. But they um, so if you need a shorter format, there's that one. So Every Fandom Bang apparently is three um, k. Okay. The reverse bang? The reverse bang is three. I think the bang is five. Reverse bangs usually are shorter because I think it's because you're g being given a pretty specific, very specific, you're getting the art first. So sometimes you're create, you know, you're kind of limited by, although some people don't take the art as any kind of limit at all. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I need to scroll this down a little bit because Beagle Morrison keeps staring at me and he's so pretty. <laughs> I'm sorry, where is he staring at you from? <laughs> from the from the quantum bang gallery. Oh. It's he desperately um distracting. There's a lot of pretty because right on the next line is Derek Hale. I mean that's distracting yeah. as fuck too. You know his beard. I mean, yeah. <sighs> I didn't even know how much I like beards until beards came back into fashion. I don't look forward to the swing back to the clean face. Uh, for some people, I do. Some people need to not have a beard, right? Ever. Some people need all the beard. Thank you, thank you, Claire. Claire got us the uh, the link for those of you who are listening to this later is. EveryFandomBangs.wordpress.com. But I would also say to the men in the audience who probably aren't here now because I'm off Blog Talk, where I used to be 75% male reader listeners because they like to listen to me talk because I talk like a little girl, you creepy motherfuckers. I hope you didn't. You, you probably stalked me over to Castbox. I know. I know. I, I know you're here. I've seen my stats. Anyways, um, there's a fine line between beard and neck beard, and you don't need oh. to cross it. Don't cross the most, it. The most horrifying thing I have mm. um, run across ever was just the neck beard. Face shave clean, long neck beard. What? 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 Oh, dude. I, normally sharing is caring, but I don't want to traumatize you that way because. I can't get that out of my head, and it's been like two years. I don't want to see. Oh, look at that! Isn't that beautiful? I can't even. I can't. I mean, full neck beard. Oh God, there it is. Just d don't share it. I'm not What's wrong with it's you. Just, it's just horrifying, <laughs> dude. It's just horrifying. No but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying the beard trend. Let's just, just men, just keep it, just keep it civilized. We don't, you know, ladies like a little beard, but we don't really enjoy, um, Duck Dynasty beard or neck beard. But, no, I'm, I'm down for that though. 
I can't tell if that's a neck beard or not. It there's just it's too full, but it's, it's nice. It is, yeah. He's working that. He is. He's groomed. He's taking care of his shit, which we appreciate. Manscaping is important, whether it's on your head or not. Just saying. And on that note, we should probably end this podcast. I have to boil eggs for my husband's lunch tomorrow. Oh, once you said manscaping, the, the podcast is definitely over. <laughs> and then she followed on, I have to go boil eggs. I just. <laughs> well, I do. Anyways, good night, boil everybody. Uh, say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.